Welcome to the Gentle Counselor Podcast, episode number 27. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. We have Angela Bueno from Nurture Eve Sleep Support, and she's going to be talking to us today about sleep without sleep training. And in particular, we're going to focus on how this comes into mental health, not only for mothers, but also for our children. Angela is a sleep and well-being specialist. She empowers parents to trust their intuition so that they can always make parenting decisions from the heart based on the needs of their unique family and unique child. She helps parents get more sleep without sleep training. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Angela. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, would you like to share with us a bit about your own mental health journey and if you've ever had some support that you've received? Yeah, um, I actually started my mental health journey when I had my daughter. Um, It's really not something that I thought of before her. Um, It wasn't something of importance to me before, but then um, after I had her, I noticed that, you know, I was quite easily triggered by her crying. And I had the same reactions that my mom did. And those reactions were the reactions that I really did not like about her before. Um, And so after reading about um, conscious parenting, I um, learned about Dr. Shefali Tabari. I really wanted to dive deep into, you know, what are the, what are, what's triggering me? Um, and how, where that came from, what part of my childhood that came from. Um, and that's really when I started getting to know myself more um, and seeing a therapist. And it's really branched out into like kind of every ap- aspect of my life now. And um, I really believe that I am a much better parent because of it. Yes, it's so important that we recognize when we need some extra support because I often talk about the analogy of filling up your cup and then, you know, we can't give if we're running on empty. And I also like to talk about how when you're overfilling your cup, then you can pour from that overflow. That's just like a simple way. I think we can put it that a lot of Mm -hmm. people can understand and it makes so much sense yet, especially as parents or as mothers, we're always the first to self-sacrifice <laughs> our own mm-hmm. well-being for our children. And I know, especially when it comes to sleep, this is where a lot of, I guess, controversy can come up because often what I see and what I hear is for people that are struggling with their mental health, a lot of the times sleep is a factor of that, right? Everyone knows that every parent feels tired all the time. It kind of just goes hand in hand with it. But for some people, they're so tired that they either can't function or they're struggling so much. And then everyone around them is telling them to train their babies. And a lot of the time they're telling them to do things like cried out or controlled crying or some other form, whether they just put 
fancy language on it, like calling it crying protesting, which makes absolutely no sense to me. And, and I know that you align a lot with gentle parenting and attachment parenting. So I would love to hear from your perspective. Do you have any clients that have experienced this where they've been told that sleep training is what they have to do? Say, for example, if they've been diagnosed with postpartum depression. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I believe that parents make the best decision um, for their children with the information that they have at the time. Um, I'm going to admit that I sleep trained my daughter when she was around four months old. Um, and that's because that's the information I had. That's what everyone around me talked about. I just like stopped listening to my intuition. I don't think I even knew I had it. And I was looking at every single information out there to find out what do I do with her. Like I, oh man, just looking back, I'd, I feel like I was just so blind and like, and, and to be honest, like I had no idea how to be a parent. So of course I was looking at books and internet for all the information. So I, yeah, and I, I actually did the pick up, put down method um, a lot earlier than that. And I didn't even realize back then that that was sleep training. And it was so hard. It really made my life so much harder than it should have been because I knew back then that if I just held her, she would take a nap. And You're so right. It makes it I, harder, doesn't it? It actually makes everyone, including us, more stressed and it's a lot more work. It's a lot more work, yeah. And like now looking back, I just wanted to watch some TV. Like, why couldn't I have just sat down on the couch, held her and watched TV? Like, that would have been so much easier than me trying for 45 minutes to pick her up and put her down. Um, but anyways, yeah, going back to your question. Um, I feel like if, if a parent ha is suffering from um, postpartum depression or anxiety, and they have all the information regarding what it takes, what sleep training involves, um, then, you know, that's their information, that's their decision. And, um, you know, I, I have no judgment for that. Um, I do think that if other people tell parents that have postpartum depression to sleep train their child as the magic solution, that's where I think we should stop doing that. And I believe we should stop doing that because sleep training is not the magic solution. Um, just because you sleep train your child does not mean they're actually going to continue sleeping through the night. Um, and also, what happens when the mom is out of when the mom is feeling better when she's not in postpartum depression anymore and she finds out that she's done sleep training when she really didn't want to and she just was pressured to do it what happens then you're so right, right. and i see that a lot actually i put up a post on instagram the other day pretty much ranting about <laughs> the effects of sleep training and i actually had quite a few people message me that said, oh my goodness, I did this and I had no idea. And so now we see the after effects of shame and guilt and as if we need to experience more mum guilt. And I think what also frustrates me is that when it comes to something 
any mental health struggle really, including postpartum depression, is that sleep is only one factor of mm-hmm. it. Sleep, getting your baby to sleep or you getting more sleep is not going to magically cure your depression. That's one tiny factor that might play into it. But there are so many other things you can try before getting to such a desperate point like that. And I'm sure that you experienced that as well, because I know I did a lot of things differently with my children that weren't even that different. It was really just kind of doing what felt right for us and our family. And then finding people that were very like-minded and that could educate me further. Um, For example, the Beyond Sleep Training Project is Mm -hmm. my go-to place for sleep support. You know, I got a lot of really good information and help there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, And and there are podcasts as well from uh, other gentle sleep coaches. I personally got that information from um, another holistic sleep coach through her podcast and listening to her talk about um, sleep training her daughter and then like kind of realizing that that wasn't that shouldn't have been the route she took um like i remember listening to that and i just started crying while i was walking my daughter um because i was like what am i doing like what am i asking from her like she's only been out of my body for four months like she's scared and i'm her safe place like what am i asking from her um but yeah i had very unrealistic expectations before she was born for sure same oh my goodness i'm rolling my eyeballs into the back of my head at myself i just had absolutely no idea because what's so frustrating is when you're pregnant people tell you oh get your sleep now So that means Mm -hmm. people know, people know that -hmm. babies wake up. Yet the second you give birth, they start asking if they're sleeping through the night. And you're like, what? Weren't you just telling me that I should expect to get no sleep so I should get sleep now? And it annoys me so much that we have such a toxic sleep culture where we're expecting a day-old baby who hasn't even, for example, established breastfeeding, right? Like if you even take into consideration breastfeeding, your milk mm-hmm. doesn't come in until maybe days three to five, perhaps longer if you had a C-section. And if you've lost, the baby's lost birth weight, for example, that's another factor. If the baby was born early, there's another complication. And I see so many horrible stories where people are training their babies so young. And I mean, it's not okay at any age, really, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, you take into consideration how full on some of the extinction methods are, but I just wish we would tell parents to relax more and instead support them in the other ways that they're struggling. So don't sleep train because you have to clean the kitchen. Like we should be going over to people's houses saying, Hey, let me come over and clean the house for you so you can rest with the baby or -hmm. whatever it might be. And I know that that's a larger issue. It's not only issue of whether you have a support network around you like family or friends, but it's also a societal issue. Um, Like I know in the US, for example, like you guys get, they don't get any like parental leave. And at least in Australia, we get, I think, three months of parental leave. But really, that's not much in the scheme of it. And it's such a larger issue, but we need to talk about it because if we don't, then nothing's going to change. Yeah, you're right about, I mean, I can go on and on about the societal change. I 
was born and raised in the Philippines um, and I live in Canada now um, so but still like the cultural difference is is massive like I remember going to the Philippines last year you know when we can back when we can travel <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I remember telling my so I growing up I had uh, nanny I guess I, yeah like she was in our house like helping us out and she I kind of grew up with her and she came to visit us and and I was like so excited to let her you know let her see my daughter and it was just a, a nice thing and then um I wanted to go and do something for myself and so she offered to take care of my daughter and I'm like yeah so if she needs to take a nap you just put her in her room in the crib and then you leave <laughs> and she was like what (laughs) like she looked at me like I was crazy she's like so you leave the baby in the room on their own I'm like yeah otherwise she won't fall asleep and so because in the Philippines you don't you don't do that like the baby stays with you because they understand that that's how they actually behave that they want to be with the people that take care of them they don't want to be alone um, and that's still respected in that culture. And there's the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, they're all, they're around you, right? So um, motherhood is so different from that side of the world compared to where I am now, where um, I only have my immediate family with me and it's not, it's just not the same. Like I need a lot more hands to raise a child. And we don't have that now. And, and uh, in Canada, we get a one-year maternity leave, which is great um, compared to, like you said, the U.S. But still, like, if you think about it, like, that year of just me on my own, that's hard. That's so hard. Yes, we definitely were never meant to mother alone we weren't designed to do anything alone because when you're looking into human development, whether you're taking a psychology or biological or or whatever perspective, we're all social creatures. Even if you are an introvert, okay, for anyone listening, we're supposed to be supported. We're supposed to be living together in communities and really close communities. And a lot of that traditionally was taken up with family members, like you're saying, cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And that's how we were meant to live. But then we come to, and people still do live that way, of course, as well, like you just said. But then you come into westernized society, places like Australia or the US, for example. And then we've put into all these things to separate a child from their caregiver. And it goes completely against all of the knowledge that we have about how the dynamic between a caregiver and child should be. And James McKenna in particular talks really well on this topic because people don't realize that it's neuroscience and attachment theory. And there's just so much more to it that we need Mm -hmm. to inform ourselves about, but who is talking about it and where is it being shared? Because I know where we live, all the pamphlets or the information I was given from my, uh, you know, the nurses or the doctors, nothing was talking about mental health. There might've been something on postpartum depression, but it was solely talking about the fats, not really talking about 
the parent and child dynamic and how that can change and the kind of things we need in place. And I've seen a few people, especially doulas, talking about providing postpartum services. And I think that's fantastic. I know if I have another child that I'm going to treat it very differently next time around because I've realized that I need to source out my support, if that makes sense. Yeah. The difference that would make. And it's interesting that you made the comment about how in Canada it's a year maternity leave. And my first thing was, okay, so what I'm hearing is I need to move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you're alone, but if you're alone for a year, but, exactly. You know, that's, it's still got other issues coming up. Yeah. I mean, I am grateful to have had that year. Um, like I, I feel kind of bad now, like complaining about it, but honestly, like, it's isolating to be a new mom in the mm. Western world. It is. And that's also I, why a lot of people go back to work earlier yeah. than they anticipate because they go back to get some sort of normalcy and socialize again. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like to be able to talk to another adult luxury. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, it's funny that you mentioned um, James McKenna cause I was just listening to him last week he uh had a long long chat with uh lauren heffernan of isla grace and she shared the video with us it was like a two-hour video wow and he said something like you know uh in in the u.s and canada we have these associations like pediatric associations and they tell you that it's unsafe to bed share with your baby rather than like promoting how to do it safely. And he said, you know, these associations have been asking, uh, have been asking, so is it safe for infants to sleep with their mother when the question should have been, is it safe for them to not sleep with their mother? Because that's the normal infant behavior to be with their mom. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's a different topic because we can, like, yeah, that's another topic that yeah. gets controversial. I, well, bed sharing is the only thing that saved us, really. That's how we've all gotten sleep. And with my daughter, I think we tried doing the cot first. Not that I was thinking anything particular. I don't think I was really against bed sharing. I think I knew it was an option, but then because of breastfeeding and then realizing how much babies do wake during the night, I quickly realized I was far too lazy to get up and down a million times. <laughs> and instead I would prefer to just roll over, boob out and go back to sleep. So then when my son was born, we just bed shared from the beginning. And when I say we, I mean, my husband has been really on board with it as well. And I know that's a factor too, is if you have a partner and if you see things differently, that again can make things very difficult in the household. So I'm so appreciative that from the beginning, he has always been on the side of gentle attachment parenting and he doesn't even have the training like I do. He just kind of gets it or maybe he does listen and I don't realize. <laughs> he's probably listening yeah. to what you're talking about and he's learning from you because I know I talk a lot about sleep in my house too and then sometimes I ask him what he thinks he's got um this he's got sleep apnea and um, so 
when he got when he got diagnosed with sleep apnea, he researched a lot about sleep. And so between him and I, we talk a lot about sleep in this household. <laughs> so Angela, when I was looking at your Instagram account, I noticed in your stories that you had a section on red flags with sleep for children. And I know that I have also had a child who's woken very frequently at night. Sometimes it was hourly, sometimes two or three hourly. And I know for me, a lot of that time, it was due to whether there was an illness or teething, but are there any other things that we should be looking out for that should be of concern where it's not necessarily normal? Yeah. So there are periods where babies will regress in sleep, um, where, you know, they would all of a sudden start waking frequently when they previously were sleeping longer stretches. That's, that's normal. Um, but if your baby has never, ever given you a two to three hour stretch ever in their entire lives, um, then that's when I would be concerned. Um, so if they're waking hourly, I would look at um, to see if they have a tongue tie, uh, tongue or lip tie, um, if they have any food sensitivities, and if they have low iron, um, and if they have sensory processing challenges. So those ones would be the first ones that I would take a look at. The most common ones I notice is the tongue tie goes undiagnosed. Um, so if you've had like breastfeeding issues in the past, if you've noticed that your baby is snoring when they sleep, um, if they have their mouth open, those would be some indications of a tongue tie. Mm, it's very interesting that you bring that up uh, because I did an episode with Debbie all on tongue ties uh, a few episodes ago and it's something that people are still learning about. I didn't realize how far behind, I guess, the general knowledge on it was because I certainly didn't have any idea on tongue ties until I had, until I had my daughter and in breastfeeding groups, that's where it seems to come up a lot. And so I'm, I wonder if it's also more difficult for parents that are bottle feeding because that can go even more easily undiagnosed because then you don't have the breastfeeding factor coming into play. True. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, and that's why, because tongue ties have been around forever. Um, and then there was that big surge of formula feeding, right? And that's when we stopped um, looking for tongue ties because moms are not so, not complaining as much. Um, and then, but if you are bottle feeding, you'll notice that whether you're bottle feeding or you're breastfeeding, you'll notice that there's milk spilling in the sides of their mouth. Um, so that's another indication as well. So if you're not feeling the pain um, and you see that there's milk spilling um, and then there's snoring, there's mouth breathing, then I would definitely um, take a look at that. Have uh, your family doctor or even better a lactation consultant to take a look at it. Such good advice. And can we talk a bit about... What is normal though? Because I know people just expect babies and children to sleep magically 12 hours at night. And I like to remind people that even adults wake up during the night. We might need to go to the toilet or we might need a drink of water. But because we are developed, we just roll over and go back to sleep, right? But 
waking at night is actually quite normal for humans, no matter what age you are. So what can we expect? I'm not sure if you would prefer to answer this between like babies and toddlers and older, or do you feel like they're kind of the same at any age? Yeah. So there's a very wide range of normal, um, sleeping through the night for any person, like you said, is like, like if I woke up in the middle of the night and then grabbed a glass of water, then went back to sleep, I slept through the night. So you can apply that with babies as well. If your baby woke up in the middle of the night and had a feed and they went back to sleep, they slept through the night. Um, so what wouldn't be normal? I, I mean, so babies go through a lot in their lives. Like, as you can see, they grow a lot between the moment they're born until they're two. Um, so they go through a lot of changes in their nutritional needs, emotional needs, and that can cause night wakings. Um, and even toddlers wake in the middle of the night. So I want that to be normalized as well, because there's this notion that once your baby turns one, they don't wake up in the middle of the night anymore. They absolutely do. Um, there's a lot of developmental changes happening there. Um, another thing to note is that, you know, some babies could like start sleeping through and then um, they grow and their nutritional needs change. So they might need to start feeding in the night again. So there's, I can't give you a number because there's a wide range of normal there. Um, but do know that as babies grow older, then their sleep gets longer as well. Um, but also keeping in mind that there are milestones that they'll reach, there will be emotional changes, they will go to daycare, they will go to school, and those will all cause night wakings, and that's normal. Um, so we need to normalize that because if we don't, parents get so confused and then it's like a battle between mom versus baby. It shouldn't be like that. It should be, you know, mom being on the side of the baby, helping them go through these changes as we would our teenagers or, you know, as we would our partner. Um, yeah. I love that you say that because that's exactly why we parent the way we do when it comes to being an attachment or gentle parent is that we're meeting our children where they're at and we can't force them to develop faster than them than what they're capable of. You know, you can't force a child to walk earlier. You can't force them to talk earlier. And so when people talk about, Oh, but you need to teach them how to sleep. No, you don't. It's just like how we don't actually teach them to walk or talk really, they learn that developmentally when they're ready. And of course, there are things we can do to help them along with that, but it doesn't mean that we can control it. And so I think when it comes to sleep, a lot of people think they can control it. It's just like if I said to you right now, lay down, fall asleep. <laughs> you, you can't do it. You can't just instantly fall asleep. So why do we expect our children to have the capability of doing that you know everyone has their own little night routine we just don't really realize as adults what we do to help us feel ready and safe and supported for sleep whether that's reading a book or you know being on your phone which a lot of us shouldn't do but we do or if you're someone that's a bit healthier and doesn't do that the, the phone and I just wish we could treat children no matter what age with more respect because they're not 
lesser than us. When we're not better than them just because we're bigger and adults, they, if anything, we should be treating them with more respect because they solely need us to survive. Mm -hmm. They're so dependent on us. And when you look at how humans develop well, a lot of it is based on the relationship between the caregiver and the child. And we need to be making sure that we're meeting their needs. And it's more than the basics. You can't just expect a baby to be fed and clothed and warm and lay down to go to sleep. They do need comfort. They do need love. They need to know that they're safe. And that's part of building that secure attachment as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you know, when you're in the thick of a sleep progression, it, it's hard to kind of think about that. It's, um, I, I can totally understand, you know, if there's a mom listening to us talk right now that is in the thick of a four-month sleep progression, it can be so hard to think that, okay, my baby needs me, I need to be there. Um, I, I get how hard it is, and that's when calling into... Uh, our partners or mother, mother-in-law for help during the day or even at night can be so helpful because yes, we can respect the fact that it's developmentally appropriate for them to wake up in the middle of the night, but it doesn't take, uh, take away the fact that you're tired. Mm. Like I get it. You're really, really tired and you need somebody to help you through it for sure. Such a good point. And I know I spent a lot of late nights in particular on my phone because I was accessing those Facebook support groups or I was messaging friends that would get it because they were probably also awake in the middle of the night as well. And when we rely on each other and when you realize that it's relatable and that it's not just your baby, because often we hear about the babies that sleep through and then we secretly mm-hmm. hate that person, right? Because we're like, oh, mm-hmm. what's wrong with my baby? What, why is it my baby sleeping through? What have I done wrong? And we put so much of the blame on us and it's not your fault. I really hope whoever's listening knows that's not their fault. And if someone's telling you it is, you need to get away from them as fast as you can (laughs) and find your people. Yes, some unicorn babies exist that didn't sleep train and just magically went into their cot from day one and slept. That's such a rarity though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are very easygoing babies. And they didn't, nobody taught them how to do that. So just remember that, that just because they're sleeping a lot better than your baby doesn't mean that they necessarily mean that they were taught to be like that. That That's just how they are. Yes, um, and that's how they're going to, <laughs> yeah, that's how they're going to be for the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, and also, if I can just add, like, to be really, really real with you, I believe that when we hear parents say that their babies sleep through the night, um, they're not always sleeping through the night. <laughs> like I'm gonna, like I can ninety percent bet you they're not always sleeping through the night. It's so true because I remember thinking that when I had someone near me that had sleep trained their baby, and then you actually hear a few months later that they're not sleeping through the night again. And so then you realize, oh my goodness, that didn't actually fix your problem. And I think that was a big moment for me to realize you did sleep training and it still didn't work. Right. Because nature, (laughs) 
it's part of their development. You can't stop it. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Angela. I so appreciate you being a guest today because sleep, it's such an important one to talk about. And I hope for anyone listening, you feel like we've given you some more accurate information and that you feel like this is relatable and you know you're not alone. And so where can we find you, Angela? Can you share with us where people can go to get to you or if they want to find you for support? Yes. So my website is www.nurtureevesleep.com. So N-U-R-T-U-R-E-E-V-E sleep.com. And same thing for Instagram at nurtureevesleep. And I'll make sure to have that all linked below as well for everyone to access. Thank you so much again, Angela. Thanks, Crystal. That was so nice speaking with you.